And our gospel lesson is taken from Matthew chapter 4, beginning at verse 12. When Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he withdrew to Galilee, leaving Nazareth. He went and lived in Capernaum, which was by the lake in the area of Zebulun and Naphtali, to fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah. Land of Zebulun and land of Naphtali, way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people living in darkness have seen a great light, and those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets. Jesus called them, and immediately they left the boat and, the father, and their father and followed him. Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease, sickness, and sickness among the people. The Gospel of the Lord. Better than a century ago, there was a theologian, rather famous one, who said these kind of famous words. He says, take away the aroused conscience and you might as well turn churches into dance halls. I want to read that one more time. Take away the aroused conscience and you might as well turn churches into dance halls. Now what he meant by that was this. If you're going to If you're going to say about sin that it doesn't exist, if you say that sin is not relevant anymore and that everybody should do their own thing, if uh, someone says that uh, the evil things in their life, there is no need for guilt, they need a church. If people are not remorseful over their sin, Why was there a Christmas? Why was there an Easter? Why was there Christ? Why is there a Bible? Right? And as a result, what the theologian said is true. What he said was true. Take away the aroused conscience, and you might as well turn churches into dance halls. But let me me say this. It's not a kind of thought that any of us would believe, because sin is very real. Sin is very real. In fact, psychologists will even admit that. I read somewhere where psychologists say that the mental and emotional problems that people have, about 80% of them, of those problems, come from unresolved guilt. Boy, do we have an answer for that, don't we? In the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who came to pay for sin. The one who came to take away our guilt. The one who who came to, 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 
to live in our place, to be with us so that we could be with Him forever and ever and ever. He's given us a wonderful message, a wonderful message of the gospel. And He tells His church, go with it. Right? He says, uh, go, and make, uh, or go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teach them to obey everything I have commanded you. Right? And that's the gospel. The gospel is all about Jesus Christ, our substitute. His perfection for our imperfection. His death for the death that we deserved. Well, today we're going to take a look at the beginning of, or at, at Jesus' ministry. And uh, we're going to see this, that Jesus came as the light of the world. Jesus shines his light and gives us hope. And we're going to take a look at three things. Number one is this. Number one is this. Where do we go? Where do we go to let Jesus' light shine? Right? And then we're going to talk about what's the message we're supposed to say. And thirdly, we're going to pray and consider the messengers that he sends. Now, when, when you're studying the Gospel of Matthew, there's something that's important for you to understand, that Matthew was not someone who, who, uh, who wrote chronologically. The Bible says we never had to do that, right? God never... He, he writes kind of topically. Another thing about Matthew is this. You can tell that he was writing to... Jewish people. And the reason why we know that is because he quotes from the Old Testament all the time, probably more than any other, any other book in the Bible. He goes back to Old Testament passages and, say, and says, uh, these things were done so that it would be fulfilled. And then the passage. So he's writing to Jewish people who would have been inclined to know what those passages were because they should have studied them. Now, going back to chronology. If you take a look at the first 11 verses of Matthew chapter 4, you'll find that it's all about the temptation of Jesus. When he went out into the wilderness and he was tempted there of the devil, right? And succeeded. Great lessons in there for us. But chapter 12 seems to take us about a year later when people were, and in particular the leaders of the people, were uh, uh, the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees were stirring up all kinds of things against Jesus. And uh, that's where we're told these words. He says, Now when Jesus heard that John had been taken into custody, custody, he withdrew into Galilee, and leaving Nazareth, he came and settled in Capernaum, which is by the sea, and the region of Zebulun of Naphtali. It was at that time that uh, King Herod had put John the Baptist in jail because John the Baptist had been publicly accusing Herod of uh, an open adultery, that adultery being that he was, he was living with his brother's wife. And when he was put in jail, the Bible tells us that Jesus... Jesus stayed away from Jerusalem, and he stayed up in the north, in the land of Naphtali and Zebulun. 
in the land of Galilee. Good reason for him to be there. Because Herod seemed to be on the loose. Now do you recognize those names, Zebulun and Naphtali? They ring a bell with you? I hope so. For they were, uh, they were uh, two, two, two of the sons of Jacob. Remember Jacob had 12 sons, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Jacob had 12 sons and then the land of uh, the promised land was divided among the 12 tribes, the 12 sons. And Naphtali and Zebulun were two of them. And where did they get their land? In the north, the northern area of the the land of of Israel, the border towns, the border land. And it says that that's where Jesus went and did ministry. We're going to talk a little bit more about it in a moment. There's another reason why he went there. And that reason was this, to fulfill Scripture. To fulfill Scripture. Because we read it in the Old Testament lesson for today, that that's where the Messiah would go. It says, and uh, uh, Matthew quotes it, um, and, and talks about Isaiah who lived 700 years before Jesus was born. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, by the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people who were sitting in darkness saw a great light, and those who were sitting in the land of the shadow of death, upon them a light is dawn. Jesus came to that area to bring light because there was darkness. And there's a reason why. Like I said, Zebulun and Naphtali were in the north. Israel was invaded how many times during their history? And where did the enemies come from? The north. And when the enemies were there, some of the soldiers would stay and their pagan beliefs. I guess that's kind of a common thing, right? for instance, in the city of Miami, been there a few times, started a mission there. 80%, better than 80% of the people in Miami speak Spanish because they come from, what, the Caribbean, from Central America, South America. You go to California, what do you see? You see all kinds of people who were from the Far East or from Mexico. I grew up in northern Wisconsin. In fact, I'm even a Uper. I was born in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan. We're a very special breed. Okay. And guess the kind of people many people were that lived in my area? French-Canadian. So that's what happened in the land of Naphtali and Zebulun. But the problem then was (laughs) all these people would bring their pagan practices. And that's why it's called a land of darkness. And that's where Jesus did ministry. That's where Jesus did ministry. Seems to me that darkness is a very apt way of speaking about unbelief and sin. Because it is nothing but darkness. Where people stumble and people fall, and people don't know the way to God. Do you remember years ago, well, it was about 2010, 
in Chile, do you remember there was a huge mining disaster where there was an explosion and, uh, and many man- miners lost their lives and miners were also trapped. And what's interesting about it was that the searchers kept going on and on and on and on. On the 17th day, they were able to locate some miners who were in a cave or in an area, 33 of them, after 17 days, living in 90-degree heat in total darkness. They had some flashlights, but they tried to conserve it. They had some food, but they had to conserve it. Most of the time, it was nothing but darkness. Can you imagine what that must have been like? To think that after 17 days, maybe nobody's ever come and looking at us? It gives me the eebie-jeebies. Is this the way I'm going to die? One by one? My fellow miners? And on the 17th day, they finally heard, and they were able to drill a small hole 2,000 feet down into the cavern itself. It still took 52 more days to get everybody out. (laughs) I wouldn't have handled it very well. Darkness, darkness, darkness is the word that God chose when he talked about darkness and sin. Like I said, in the darkness, we tumble, we stumble, we fall over things, we get uh, lost, perhaps uh, turned around. I was going to do a children's service uh, message today, I was going to... Maybe with the permission of one of the parents, or maybe some of you would have fought for me to do this, uh, blindfold your, your child and, and, and spin them around and, and, and say, go find dad, go find mom. I wonder what would have happened. Hmm? Darkness calls, darkness is a word that God says is sin. And what does the Bible say about sin? Well, King David said this. He says, I was a sinner from the beginning, and in sin did my mother conceive me. King David was a sinner, like all of us are, when from the time that we're conceived, we're a person, a sinful person. Paul says, the wage of sin is death. Now, I'm not here talking about sin because I got up in a bad mood this morning on the wrong side of the bed. I'm I'm here talking about sin because... Because it needs to be talked about. Sin is the biggest problem when it remains unforgiven that anybody could ever face. And yet it's the common denominator of all of us. We're all sinners. And most everybody knows it. You know, I've spent 45 years basically in mission churches. Well, I think every church is a mission church, actually. And I've talked to I don't know how many people about sin and grace. And I said that most people acknowledge the fact that they're sinners. You know, a lot of people will say this, well, nobody's perfect, right? (laughs) It means they're sinners. 
But I've met two people who said that they had never sinned in their lives. One of them became a dear friend of ours. And she said how foolish she was to say that. And that she remained mad at me for days and days and days for, for, for telling her that she was a sinner. But she eventually understood and became a wonderful Bible student and a friend of our family. The other one, that's another story for another time. But most people acknowledge the fact that they're sinners. That they're sin. And face it, we sin a whole lot. You know what really makes the impression on me about all the sins that I've done? Just look up this on the internet because everything is true there. <laughs> How many thoughts do you have in a single day? I've read somewhere between 12,500 to 60,000. 12,500 to 60,000 thoughts in a single day. Now, how many of those are sinful? Just for a passing moment. Anger, unjustified. Lust and covetous. Uh, uh, Self-righteousness. And all kinds of other sins. And multiply that by every day that you've ever sinned, uh, ever lived. You know, if you just sin three times a, a day and live an average lifetime, you'll still have 70,000 sins by the time you, you go to heaven. We sin much. There was an op-ed in an English paper that uh, the headline was this, What's Wrong with the World? And maybe you've heard a man by this name, G.K. Chesterton, who was an English writer, a philosopher, uh, actually a lay theologian, a poet. He said this. He wrote back to the editor, What's wrong with the world? He said, I am. And isn't that true? We always got to start with ourselves. I'm a sinner. And then you can look at the people in front of you and back of you, on the left of you and on the right of you, and understand they're the same way. Jesus went to Naphtali and Zebulun, the land living in darkness. But he could go out anywhere, and you can go anywhere too. Out the door, the first person you meet. A person who is a sinner, and if not a Christian, living in darkness. Where did Jesus go? <laughs> Where do we need to go? Well, everywhere is our mission field to tell them the message that Jesus told and spoke about throughout his ministry. Matthew goes on, he says, from that time, Jesus began to preach and say, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Notice what he does. He, he didn't vary from John the Baptist either. If you look in the Bible, you'll see John the Baptist, his predecessor, he said exactly the same things. In fact, you can go into the Old Testament and all the Old Testament prophets, they said the same thing. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Now let's examine those words, and I'm sure you've, you've, you, pastors have told you this again and again and again. When you examine the word repent, it really means 
change one's mind, change one's thoughts. And again, you think about the Pharisees and the Sadducees that Jesus, uh, well, they always opposed Jesus. They were his enemies. And what did the Pharisees and the Sadducees believe that, well, really showed that they needed to change their mind? Well, the Pharisees, actually, we have, we have to respect them a little bit because they were the ones who really thought that the Old Testament, as we do, is all of God's word. All right? And they preserved it for us. But the problem is, they didn't know how to read it. And they added to it. Hey, Pharisees, you need to change your mind. Or how about the Sadducees? They were considered the real, real, real religious liberals. They didn't believe in an afterlife. They didn't believe in heaven. They didn't believe in hell. They didn't believe in uh, angels. In fact, what they said is when you die, that's it. Hey, Sadducees, you better change your mind. Both the Pharisees and Sadducees needed to change their minds. And when it comes to God, we don't come to God as braggarts and with arrogance. We don't come to God thinking that we know it all. We come to God as beggars, asking for God's mercy, a mercy that he gives us freely. And there's something else about this word repent that uh, when you study these words in the original, the word repent, you know, it sounds here like it's a, it's a one-time deal. You know, you repent, right? But actually, the word in the tense, it could be translated like this. Keep on repenting. Because our sins are done daily, right? We have so many sins. Now, it isn't repenting, saying you're sorry for your sins that, that allows us to be forgiven, but rather faith in Jesus Christ. But the point of the matter is that we understand how much we need Jesus on a daily basis and how important that passage is when he says God's mercies are new every morning. There's more grace to be had. And what about the message? Well, Jesus said, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Now, again, that almost sounds like it's futuristic, like it's near, it's there in the future, but it's nearby. Actually, that's not really what it means. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Well, Jesus was there, right in their presence. And who was he? The one who would save them. The sins that they repented of, they were the one, he was the one who would forgive them. And Jesus is here. Where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. He gives us his word. And over and over again, the word tells us, you're forgiven, you're forgiven, you're forgiven. We come to the Lord's Supper. Christ's body, Christ's blood, to assure you that you are forgiven. You've been baptized into Christ, connected with him. You are forgiven. You are his child. The kingdom of heaven is near. And there's one more point I'd like to make about that, and that's this. 
you need to change your mind about what's next. You go back to the Sadducees. They didn't believe that there was life beyond the grave. And I'll tell you this, there are a whole lot of people in this world who believe that, that there is no life beyond the grave. And it's getting worse and worse and worse and worse. And then they, when it gets about ready time to die, then they start thinking about it. Change your mind, Sadducees. Change your mind, people. There is a heaven, there is a hell. And those who believe in Jesus, come to me, Jesus says. All right. That's the message we speak to people who need it. And then we talk here about also the messengers that God sends. He says, now as Jesus was walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And he called them. Immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. The scripture records um, that Jesus came to his disciples, these disciples, twice. And uh, over years and years, I didn't really know that. Uh, the first time he came to them by the sea and presented himself, he was calling them to faith. But there was a second time he came to them. And it was at that time he called them to follow and he become fishers of men. So what Jesus wanted from these men was that they would become full-time workers in the kingdom, and that's what they did. And they trained with him. They were 24-7 with Jesus. And he trained them after Jesus would be gone to go out and preach the gospel. God sets up the public ministry of the gospel, where people are called to teach, to preach, to, uh, to train people about Jesus. But I also want to say this. That the moment every person is called to faith, you become a minister. In fact, there's a doctrine in the Bible called the universal priesthood. And the universal priesthood is there to serve, to serve others. And what that means is basically living your life for Jesus. Letting your family know. Letting your neighbors know. Letting your colleagues know all about Jesus through the way that you live and through your speech. Letting your light shine. Right? Letting your light shine. You know, there's an awesome, awesome illustration when it comes to the sun and the moon. You know, the sun is that which generates the light, right? The moon just reflects it. Well, that's also true in Christianity, right? It's the sun, S-O-N, who generates the light, and we reflect it so that people see Jesus in us. And I'd like to mention one more thing, and that thing is this. 
We have children in this congregation. I wish we had more t- today. I understand. I understand. And I believe that people are watching. So, moms and dads, I'm talking to you. It's our, our privilege and our responsibility to tell others about Jesus and create another generation of church workers, full-time workers in the church. How important it is for us as, as moms and dads, as grandmas and grandpas, as uh, members of the church who might uh, see children in our congregation that, that have the gifts to do it, to encourage them to think about serving the Lord full time. Just as Peter was and all the other disciples. Just like I was. And I am, again. Now, let's talk about those, those Chilean miners. You know that hole down 2,000 feet was bored. They were able to run uh, light down there, electric and, and all that. And then how they got them out was they continued to make that hole bigger and bigger and bigger. And finally, uh, when the hole was big enough, they were able to send down a one person, whatever contraption that the people would get into one at a time, and they pulled them out. And you know what was interesting about it is? They sent sunglasses down with them. They had been in that mine so long, and their eyes were (laughs) so adjusted to the darkness that when they hit the sunlight, it was overwhelming. It's Jesus, isn't it? Truly overwhelming. But that's good for us. He gives us light. And that light is there for us to reflect to others. Jesus, let your light shine. Let your light shine on me. And let me shine to others. Amen. Please rise. And now may the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, keep your hearts and minds through faith in Christ Jesus. Amen.